Welcome to the Insight to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I'm the host of this program, and I also do an awful lot of work in the area of transformation, specifically decision-making and leadership for complex change. It's really hard to feel optimistic sometimes about what's going on in the world today. So this episode is about reversing that feeling and coming back to very much of a positive sense of optimism about what's going on in the world today, particularly through the area, through the lens of business schools and business. So I'm very excited today to have Claire Summer on the phone with me. Claire is the director of Aim to Flourish. She's going to explain a little bit further about what that means. But I have to tell you that, that, that this follows an interview we did in 2014 with Roberta Baskin, who was at that time director of Aim to Flourish. It was just getting going, if I remember correctly. And now let's go to Claire and find out more about what is Aim to Flourish, where are we at four years later, and what are the cool and exciting things that are happening out of this initiative. Claire, over to you, please. Thanks so much, Donna. It's really a pleasure to be here, and uh, a big hello to all the listeners. So my name is Claire Summer, and I direct the initiative called Aim to Flourish, which is based at the Fowler Center for Business as an Agent of World Benefit at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. We are a basically a curriculum uh, for business school professors to make it really easy for them to teach about business as a powerful force for good. We're all about changing the story that's all too dominant about business being bad and destructive and exploitive to the real story that we know is possible about business as a positive force for good in the world. We do this with storytelling, and we do it using a methodology called appreciative inquiry, which is a large systems change approach that was developed by our center's director, David Cooper Ryder. I know what you did was you went out worldwide to a lot of business schools that are participating, and business students stepped up to, to find these stories. What what happened there, and, and how many stories do you have now? And can you give us an example of one or two of those stories that can give a, a real stronger feel for, for what's being discovered in terms of initiative in the world today? Well, I absolutely love that story because now it's four years since you spoke to our founding director, Roberta Baskin, when Aim to Flourish was really an inspiring idea, and now we're a real web platform, we're a curriculum that's being used today by over 50 business school professors around the world, and we're also a recognition program. What we have on our website that I encourage you all to go to, it's AIM, A-I-M as in Mary, the number two, and the word flourish, AIM to flourish.com, and what we've done is collected incredibly untold positive stories of business innovation, stories about businesses that are making money, they're profitable, they're owned by and part of communities that are making money so that people can feed their families and help build schools, but these companies have innovations that are also doing something really good for society, 
for the environment and for our communities. If you go to aimtoflourish.com, you can click on the Innovations tab. That's what we call our stories. We have business students who, inspired by their professors who are using our curriculum, leave the classroom, get out into their community, and go interview an inspiring business leader and ask him or her, tell me about something that's going really good at your company. Tell me about what's going right here. And then as part of their class assignment, the students take the stories and what they learned, and they submit them on our website. And now, after a couple of years, we have over a 1,000 mini case studies, all written by business school students all over the world in over 60 countries, every one of which is a little mini case study about a positive and profitable business innovation. One of the companies we're recognizing this year, it's a little company called Grayston Bakery, and it's based in Yonkers, New York. And you've never heard of Grayston Bakery, perhaps, but you may have eaten Ben & Jerry's brownie chunk ice cream. Grayston Bakery makes over 60,000 pounds of brownies every day that go into this delicious Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Now, what's special about Grayston Bakery is that they don't hire people to bake brownies. They bake brownies to hire people. Their innovation is called open hiring, which means you go to the bakery, you put your name on a list for a job, and when your name comes up on the list, you get a job, no questions asked. This innovation has actually helped transform the lives of thousands of people who work at Grayston Bakery, and it's truly created a flourishing community in Yonkers, New York. We've removed the stigma that all too often is part of the life of people who have been incarcerated or people for whatever reasons aren't able to get a job. They just can't get a break. So this story of Grayston Bakery is one of these examples of businesses that are not only making money, providing a valuable product to Ben & Jerry's, which is part of one of the world's largest corporations, Unilever, but they're also doing something really good. So that's one of my favorite examples of an Aim to Flourish story that was written by a business school student at the Bard MBA program that happens to be in Manhattan, New York. Well, that's fantastic. In early days when you started in 2014, I was I was also going on the site looking for stories just so I could get a feel for what students were finding. And I recall there was a really interesting story about a small resort in northern Argentina. Uh, my daughter and I had been backpacking there you know, a, year, a couple of years be- previous, and so it caught my attention. We hadn't gotten to that area, but this woman had this very small resort and she was running it very sustainably and ethically. And, and really, you know, when it's not all that easy to be ethical sometimes, it's easier just to take the shortcuts and throw your, be irresponsible about your waste and, and all those kinds of things. And she'd done some remarkable 
things in that resort and consequently it was attracting a clientele that really valued and cared cared for cared about that kind of a responsible approach and then the other one that i remember really clearly and and again I'm, you may you may this may spark <laughs> more for you but um the other one i remember clearly was one out, i think it was out of malaysia and it was creating plastic bags out of tabioca so they have a life of a couple weeks but you know they'll get your groceries home and then they'll just disintegrate so uh, hopefully not disintegrate before you get home. That 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 wasn't the idea, but some some bags do. But it was just the idea that using local what what you know is locally and, it, and it's work, and you can adapt it to solve a pro a massive problem we have in the world today, i.e. plastic. And so yeah, I just thought that was a really a couple of really neat stories. Anything any others that you'd like to add? Well, sure, and before I do that, let me just actually put one or two little buttons on those two stories about why why they're so inspiring. The students themselves, in the process of discovering these great stories, it changes them. They come back and tell us in the student reflections that they write in their story that they they sort of knew that business could be good, but at some level, they didn't really believe it. But the experience of sitting down and meeting and talking to a business leader who's actually doing it, it transforms the student's understanding. And in fact, we have some wonderful evidence. It actually changes how the student thinks about his or her own potential to be a positive leader for global change. The other thing about all these stories is that we now have a thousand of them and more being published every day. And if anyone says, well, you know, business being good, it's really kind of a niche thing, that's simply not true. And those of us who are already in this global conversation about business for good, we already know it. But if we need to convince our friends and we want to inspire them, reach them through their hearts, a simple thing you can do is go to aimtoflourish.com and you will find examples of little tiny businesses, medium and giant companies that are proving every day that you can be good and have a real business. The Argentine tiny little eco-lodge is beautiful because that innovation can't scale where she is because her eco-lodge is actually in a national heritage site. So it can't get any bigger there, but it can spawn others to follow her example. So when we talk about scaling and replicating innovation, sometimes you can't do it there because it's the perfect size for that place but it can be done other places. The eco-bags that are made out of cassava or tapioca that's in Indonesia is a great example of integrating a needed product into the life of a community. Cassava is a crop that people have been growing and farming for thousands of years. So by having a new purpose for that crop, something that people need, you can also continue the traditional ecosystem of, of business that has already always been there. So there's a really beautiful circular economy to that story. 
And that story is one that can scale. In fact, I was at a conference in New York in the fall, and I met a senior executive, again from Unilever, who tends to come up in these conversations about business for good, and she knew the CEO of that little company, which is called Green Hope. And she said, you know, we're looking to bring them into our supply chain, and we're working with them just to make sure that the quality is really consistent because we want to see that company grow. And you asked me for another just great story, one that, you know, really kind of knocks our socks off. And if I were going to pick a third one just to share, um, we have a, a really great example of a small company that is in Switzerland, um, of all places. And the innovation is it, there was a hospital, there's a hospital for people with epilepsy, um, and it's a residential facility. And one of the issues that these people face in their life is just isolation. So the company that owns the hospital partnered with the village next door to create a new housing development that would allow people in the community, in this quaint, traditional, grounded community, to have new places to live, new places to shop. And the people who live and who are served by and who are being helped and treated at the Hospital for Epilepsy could be integrated into this community. So it just creates this win-win innovation of weaving together business and community and people and human dignity that will really lift your spirits if you read about it. No, that's great. And, and all of those are examples of what I call ecosystem decision-making, you know, decision-making that thinks about the entire system of relationships and brings them in to engage and be a part of uh, something much bigger, which I think is, is really what it's all about. So, so it's very, very exciting. Thank you for those. And I really appreciate also listening to how this changes business students, because when you were going back and talking about scaling and, and often we think, you know, businesses scale, uh, you know, a business, can, what, what, whatever the scale part is, what I really think is going on here when you look at the resort, the eco, the eco resort in Argentina and you think big is the scaling of a mindset and, and the mindset is really what what takes it forward. So business students, at least this is how I would see it. So I'm looking forward to hearing how, how, how accurate this observation is. But, you know, w when you're thinking about it as a business student, you're thinking in terms of business limitations. You're often getting the constraint of you have to be a profit making machine and, and that's what drives business. And if you're not, you know, we've got separate lives between our personal and values and ethics and, and business values and ethics, you know, assuming that uh, that there are some and there's an awareness of what those are uh, beyond just profit making. I think when you're looking at things as a, on a wider system basis, you, A, you're going to make better decisions and B, you're, you're also going to be looking at things through the lens of, of greater care and compassion, which you typically do not get as what we would typically think of traditional in business thinking. Any observations on that? I love how you put it because this is really about inviting people to a new mindset that allows people to live more fully from their values at their job 
or in their community work or in their faith life. And that there has been, especially in in Western culture, which is what I'm most familiar with as an American, this this truly artificial and heartbreaking schism between what you do for money and how you live your life as a human being. And aim to flourish through this appreciative approach that we use where we focus on asking business leaders what's going right in an intergenerational conversation. We're kind of setting up the conditions for the kinds of conversations we have that matter most. When we have conversations with our family members where we talk about what really matters, we're basically offering students, hey, you can be like this in your life. You can look for what's working. You can be inspired. You can think creatively about ways that business fits into and serves society rather than the other way around. We sort of happened on this approach when we asked ourselves in a mini design summit a couple years ago, which is when you first met Roberta, Donna, we asked, how could we lift up all these positive examples that we know are out there but you just don't hear about? And you know, people said, well, we could have a TV channel or we could have a podcast or we could have a website. And then we thought, well, who are the people who are most ideally suited to collect these examples? And we hit on business students because these are the people who are the leaders of tomorrow who are going to drive the capital and financial engines that if we're doing the right things can create profound system-wide transformational change not only within our lifetimes but within the, the time constraints that our physical planet is imposing upon us because that's the clock that we're truly racing against. Is there going to be a world worth doing business in if we don't quickly and mindfully reverse the terrible trends of ecological, planetary, societal collapse and move into a world where business is regenerative and sustaining? Business students have open minds, most of them. So we're catching tomorrow's leaders when they're still open to thinking about business in a new way. To me, that is music to the ears because I know that's what got my whole journey started into reinventing myself and the work I'm doing in the world. It was very much just around watching the the screensaver called ecological change, degradation slash urgency screaming at us. It had been, you know, I had facilitated stuff for the Globe Conference years ago in the 90s I had presented and, and we weren't really moving far very fast. And that, that was extremely disturbing to me because it's not hard to see that's where things are going. And yet I still find I'm in business environments, which, you know, just baffles me where people will say, oh, you're an eco nut because you care about the environment. It's like, I, I don't know of anybody that can't, doesn't require air, water, you know, <laughs> food. I, I've just not, not met them yet. I've, apart from breatharians, which, 
Some people may or may not believe in that, but I'm not sure that most of us are ready to go to living off of the sun just yet. I find there's this baffling, this very baffling notion that business is so distinctly separate from the rest of life that it poses a real collision in, in, in my other terms. So yeah, any, any insights that the students have come up with, because they're, they're the ones in the crux. They're the ones that are going to be coming out of school with this phenomenal experience and then frequently walking into good old mainstream thinking about how the world works. What are they learning going forward? That is something we're taking great care about because we know that change needs to be nurtured and supported. Each of us as an individual change maker, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to nourish ourselves. So for these students who have a really wonderful and markedly, in several examples, life-changing experiences as a result of writing an Aim to Flourish story, we want to make sure that that mindset shift can stick. So some of the work we're doing for the rest of 2018 is building our what we're calling our alumni community because when students walk into perhaps a very traditional workplace that might be mired in the old paradigm, we want them, we think of Aim to Flourish almost as a, a probiotic that by continuing to be connected to a community of change makers, and of course Aim to Flourish is just one of a thousand, ten thousand maybe a million communities of people who are already in the new mindset, but we're hoping that we can keep that going and and really be kind of an inoculation against the bad news. You know, we don't have time for that, and I am on record as an indefatigable optimist. I know how bad it is, and it doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm still going to work every day, to help prepare tomorrow's leaders and today's leaders who are in business to say, here's communities of people who are finding solutions. Help me connect. Let me help connect you to them. Let's hear what's new. Tell me about what's going right in your business. And so that's my answer to, well, what do you do when you get out of our our nice, happy bubble? We're not a happy bubble. We're actually sanity. And it's our job to keep going until everyone is able to see it too. That's a lovely way of putting it. I love the mission because it, <laughs> it very much speaks to the reality of, of uh, keeping focused on what you want as opposed to being focused on what you don't want. And, and I think there's uh, that's a critical aspect of, of transforming effectively. But it's also a, a big quality of, of appreciative inquiry because – I know that appreciative inquiry, from my experience, points to to the positive, but it doesn't point to the positive at the expense of the negative. It, it It's not about, you know, either or. It's about how do you use these tricky things that we have to deal with today to become more expansive, both in our consciousness and our, our thinking, but also in terms of how we how we take all and process information, our capacity to see from different perspectives and, and all of that. I'm, I'm thinking that may, many of the people hearing this may have already heard of appreciative inquiry, which is this positive questions, strength-based approach to 
solving challenges. And I, I have a really funny short story about it. Um, appreciative inquiry is often used in large organizations, um, big companies where you can bring 800 people into a room, all the stakeholders, and then you can work on a challenge together. It can also be used by smaller teams. And we've actually made appreciative inquiry really bite-sized at the personal level with the resources that we offer to the students who are doing our assignment. We're, we're helping them and supporting them to go get a really great story, and we give them appreciative inquiry questions to ask. So one of our students came back and told me that she felt like she had this magic, this magic key where she was able to sit down with a CEO and his face lit up when she asked him to tell her about something he's really proud of at his business, something that inspires him. And she said to me, Claire, would it be okay if I used this in like other parts of my life? And I, I said, of course. Wow. <laughs> this, is, this is now available to you and go tell your friends that you can actually look for challenges based on what's going right and find out where there's already good things happening. And you're absolutely right. Appreciative inquiry isn't Pollyanna, oh, we're only looking at what's working. We're looking to see where there's already life in the system and then to build on that from a position of strength. Absolutely makes sense because it it's it does it makes one much more mindful of where your attention is going, and and that changes a lot because most decisions are made in companies without being mindful of where the attention is going. In fact, all you have to do is look at politics these days, and you'll see that most of these decision makers are looking at one dot and ignoring the systemic effects of their decisions, which has catastrophic effects. So. It's not dissimilar to what how we got to this place of business focusing on profit as being the purpose and forgetting that there's all these systemic impacts, including disengagement of employees. And this goes back to, you know, I need to go back to what we were, you know, mentioned earlier about optimism because I too am optimistic and I'm optimistic because I see that we have not been tapping into a fraction of human potential in companies. We, we've been dancing, actually putting, actively putting it down to the extent possible under command and control management styles and lack of trust in the workplace. And so all we have to do is pivot ever so slightly and just trust that people can actually make their own decisions and they can make pretty good ones. And if you provide a framework of ethics and principled approach to decision-making, then you're going to be able to turn your company into a force for good in not very much time because people want to be a part of something that's bigger. That's just my logic on it. Well, and certainly the research on the younger people who are coming up into the business world bears that out. I've seen several reports and articles saying that millennials want to work for companies where they feel proud of, of where they're working, where they're spending most of their productive daylight hours. And since the Internet happened, <laughs> we live in a world of radical transparency so it's all the more easier now for the bad news about companies to get out, which we've really seen a lot of in the news. And at the same time, if you flip that on its head, it's also a lot easier for the good news to get out. So 
younger people know how to go get information, find out what the reputation of a business is, and they're go- they're they're naturally drawn to the companies that are acting in ethical decent, dignified ways in serving their customers in terms of being a member of a community rather than, you know, it's, rather than business being its own self, being part of society, and also taking care of our world because all of us know, or I, I should hope, there's any of you on this call who don't know that we only have one planet, uh, please call me. <laughs> So this is how the world is turning. Younger people want to work for companies that they can feel proud of. They want to be able to tell their friends how that they feel really good about what they do with their time, just as we all feel really good when we spend our money in ways that not only help ourselves and our family, but also help other people too. Yeah, brilliant. What's the direction for Aim to Flourish now? What what do you see happening next? So we're really proud of the fact that we crossed our thousand-story threshold two months ago. It was an important marker for us to say, we actually have a program that business school professors really like to offer to their students, that students love to do, that business leaders are eager to participate in, and that we have increasing media attention for the stories that we're discovering that you can't, you can't read anywhere else. So we're really done with phase one, which is proving our theory that this is of benefit to the world. So what's next for our next thousandth story is to keep what we're doing. We're going to keep the best of what already is. And what's next? is creating new pathways for our students after they've done a story. They come back to us and they say, well, okay, now I know about this great business, but I want to do something more. I want to help the business. So we're adding, we're calling it a part two to the Aim to Flourish assignment, where students continue the relationship that they started when they wrote an Aim Aim to Flourish story and now they ask the business, how could I help? What's, what's going right in your business that I could help you improve on or scale or replicate? So this new phase for Aim to Flourish is a student engagement with the business where the student does a project that helps the business be even better. That's fantastic. So that puts it into practical, grounded experience that you can take that forward anywhere. Yeah, and students really, really want that. That's what everything we know about business school students from talking to them is that they do want practical, hands-on experiences that help them either decide what kind of company they want to create themselves or the kind of business they want to join. I mean, ideally, in my mind, you want to be able to do this. The students need to be able to do this in a way they, that has a smooth sailing because the, the, the massive contradictions we've set up in this view of business for profit and business for purpose, it, it's, it's, a, it's a falsehood in the sense that it, it can be both, but it, it is about knowing that you don't have to pave a whole new road. You just simply have to lead 
and it's you know very simple from that point of view. Absolutely, and I'm delighted because this is truly a match for the the empty space I had in my own career, which was how do I be, in my case, a writer who who writes about good people doing good things and still be able to take care of myself and my family. And the truth is, you go where the energy is flowing, and this is how the world is turning. So the, the time of big, bad business that runs roughshod and rampant over society, we have to remember that it's still pretty new. This isn't how business used to be. Um, it's gotten on steroids. And that story got invented and replicated, and now we can change it. And that's what's happening. Anything else you want to add before we close off, Claire? Well, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's part of this big global movement for good. I see you. I hear you. I support you. You're not alone. We're in this together. And aimtoflourish.com is a wonderful website for you to come and read some stories about inspiring businesses, that all of which are brought to you by a young person. And if you come to the website, we've made it really easy for you to get in touch with me and the rest of the team. I encourage you to do that because we'd love to have you as part of our community as well. And, and thank you, Donna, for this opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. As you know, we started this conversation four years ago, so here we are, full circle. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's quite exciting to see how it's evolved and, and the uh, traction it's gained and just the change, the difference it's making So as well. So thank you. And, I'll, of course, I'll put, I'll put the Aim to Flourish link in the show notes. Uh, for students who want to get involved, where do they go? Through the website or is there somewhere else they need to be? They can go to aimtoflourish.com. They can find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And if we can't convince a professor at your university to formally offer Aim to Flourish, we'll make it happen for you as an independent study or an extracurricular. Sounds good. Claire, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be on the program. I know you've got quite a bit coming up, so busy work happening, and thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The critical aspect of this particular conversation with Claire is on what we focus on, and I, I think this is important both in how we're moving and changing organizations through this messy middle of moving from traditional command structures, which are proving to be far too costly, to something that is more self-management, much more empowering, certainly engaging, more, much more engaging, and brings more meaning to, to the world of work, uh, now sort of packaged nicely under the topic of the future of work. So I hope you've enjoyed the program. Here, here what I'm looking for in terms of going forward is, is that um, you use the conversations to really just observe your own focus, see where it's going, because that's critical to whether you use adversity to expand your consciousness or contract it. And so, I, you know, great opportunity to take the lessons out of appreciative inquiry or the lessons out of growing toward a positive focus, building on strengths to, uh, to, to navigate interesting issues that you have going on internally, but also to choose more carefully about how you respond to the bigger issues that you're reading in the news about every day, 
and also uh, what's going on globally. So I hope that offers some insight. Thanks very much for listening to the program. Please share it, spread it around, and uh, Twitter, you can contact me on Twitter, E-P-D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. You can reach out to me on Facebook at From Insight to Action. That's the page. And also, of course, LinkedIn, the usual there. And then, of course, uh, listen to the other programs. The other the conversation I had with uh, Roberta is posted on management-issues.com forward slash eprovoc, E-P-R-O-V-O-C. And uh, so you can listen to that as well, and it'll give you the genesis and the origins of this whole Aim to Flourish initiative. Thanks very much for joining me.